The scripture this morning is from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. can be found on page 4 in the New Testament of, the, of your pew Bible. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. Join with me in a word of prayer. Loving and gracious God, bless us now with your message, with your truth. Speak to us through all the ways in which are possible by your grace that we might be inspired to fight the fights, to live the lives, and to be in the kingdom that you prepared for us. Pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Peta, Gail, Hamich, President Snow, Kitness, District 12, Victor's Village, the Arena, and the Woods. Do you know them? Do you know where to find them? Well, they're in the novels of Suzanne Collins and on screen in The Hunger Games and Hunger Games Catching Fire. They are also, by the way, in Subway, Burger King, and CoverGirl Advertising. Most importantly, they are in the consciousness of this culture and in the consciousness of most, ironically, 10 to 18-year-olds in our country. Shelby did a fantastic job of summarizing the movie. She wrote the summary. I asked her to do it for me earlier this week. She did it. Uh, She did it well, as you heard. But I wasn't surprised at that because... She was there with us on Tuesday night and saw the Hunger Games catching fire. She'd also been there before, a few times. Because this Hunger Games series, like Twilight and Harry Potter who came before, are of the genre which is really speaking to a segment of our culture in powerful ways. I actually went to the movies on the weekend in which Hunger Games Catching Fire was released. I didn't go to see that movie, but when I was on my way to go see the movie I was going to go see, I knew something was up because I had to maneuver around a multitude of adolescent girls, their parents, and other adults who were lined up and scattered all around the lobby and theater waiting to get in to their showtime for this movie. 
Now at that time I didn't know anything about the Hunger Games really. I'd never seen any of the movies nor read any of the books. Uh, now I've seen movies one and two and had to read one and two and now was forced to read three because I just need to know what happened. <laughs> so I know. No spoiler alert though from me. I want to share with you though that as I've been taking a look at that movie, I know that some of you went Tuesday night and hadn't read the books and hadn't seen any of the first movie and that made it somewhat difficult. I also know that you saw what I saw, the fact that the movie in itself is a troubling piece of cinema. The horror of people, including children, the aged, infirmed, disabled, forced to fight each other to the death. We saw an imperfect heroine, evil leaders, and depressing poverty and human need. And yes, it was a long movie. Two hours and 26 minutes, to be exact. And as I watched the movie, I was conscious of how much was left out still from the novel. And I know a number of you came out of the movie. A couple of you went, oh, that was terrible. And a number of you, a number of you said, I love, I can't wait to see what kind of sermon you're going to get out of this, Pastor Rick. Well, I want to tell you that it wasn't that I couldn't find one. It was rather which one to go with out of this movie. Because for me, I think there are several powerful messages that speak to us today. And they're not lost on the fans of this series. The first of which, I think, is the struggle that they have, we have, we all have, is to find out the truth about ourselves. Kitness, this young girl who becomes the surprising heroine of the movie, is not a confident heroine. She's not a perfect heroine. She struggles with her own identity, with, with the certainty of what to do and who to align with and what she should be about. And I think that speaks to so many of us who spend our life trying to figure out what we're supposed to be and then realizing that we are not perfect enough to do that which we think we're called to do. I think of Peter, of a young boy who who loves deeply and is probably too sensitive to be in the games, but it is his sensitivity that becomes a part of the healing. I think of Hamish, who used to be a victor and now is simply a drunk mentor, who also becomes in his own way a hero. And I think of Kitness's mother, who at the beginning of the movie was simply a lost widow and ends up being a healer. In their stories, we find hope for our own story, unless you're perfect, and I'm not. And my guess is, maybe you figured out that you're not. So maybe it's good to have a movie come along and say, you know, maybe there's still hope for you. Maybe there's a place where you'll actually be able to shine and thrive, even with your imperfections, imperfections and frailties. There's also the message in the movie, I believe, about the hope and believing that evil does not have the final word. As horrific as evil is in this movie. Because in the places where it's most horrific, we see acts of courage. We see where there's an attempt to displace everyone from a sense of trust. Where community comes together and people find others whom they can trust and care for. And we find where victims can become heroes. And ultimately we find here in this story at least a community of trust and love. In a world that's set up where no one's supposed to trust or love anyone. Kitten spends most of the movie trying to figure out who she can trust. Tries to figure out whether she's even capable of love. Read the third book. And even people like her wardrobe and makeup team, who are caricatures, fools, silly, 
insignificant people are transformed by the power of love. Those who love the Hunger Games love it because of its action and drama. They love it because I think they can find themselves in the story. I said to some of my staff earlier this week that one of the things I thought that was particularly interesting in the movie, Kitness has two love interests. That's not a, that's not a spoiler. And in one of her love interests with PETA, uh, which is an on-off again, not sure what this relationship is about, relationship except that it is at least founded in a deep friendship. Kitness, as a young adolescent girl, is able to find comfort in the arms of a young boy who's willing to be tender with her and hold her and love her without wanting to take from her sexually whatever he wants. What a powerful message. That's captivating. There are a lot of messages in this story that are powerful, and I think it's the very fact that it's a powerful story that draws people to see it. It's a story that speaks to the rebel within us. Who doesn't want to shoot an arrow like she does? Who doesn't want to stand up to the bullies in our lives and smack them in the nose the way she does? Who doesn't want to stand up for somebody who's being mistreated and be the one who helps bring them justice? It's a powerful story. But it's not the only story with those messages. In Matthew 5, Jesus begins revealing truth about the kingdom that he had come to establish. He sat down at the beginning of his ministry here in this gospel, sets the people who are wanting to listen to him down, and begins to tell them all these radical things about how they're called to live their lives. You just heard Peggy read them to us. He describes a kingdom which talks about a place where self-interest is sacrificed for the sake of compassion. It's a kingdom that seeks justice and not revenge. It's a kingdom led not by by oppressing others, but rather by being meek and merciful. The kingdom that Jesus describes here in Matthew 12 is not a safe kingdom, in the sense that it will require risk and challenge, and one can expect resistance. This kingdom was beyond anything they could imagine or expect to see in their life except by his help. So after he gave this sermon, he goes out and lives his life to prove that it's possible. He goes out and dies for them to prove that it's possible. He comes back to life again after his death to prove that they really never need to be afraid because the evil and the power trying to keep them out of this kingdom cannot win. Even if battles are lost, it cannot ultimately win. To live in this kingdom is to live with a great deal of risk. To live in this kingdom is to not be a hero, but become a servant who others think of as heroes. It is a kingdom where the flawed people are revered. Where the people who are the screw-ups and the mistakes, the people who can't always get it right, get lifted up, and they get to go in first. And I believe that Jesus starts off by talking about this kingdom because he wants the people who listen to him to start immediately to decide which kingdom are they going to live in. See, I think Matthew 5 is a lot like Hunger Games. I think it's about kingdom choices. What kingdom are you going to be a part of? In Hunger Games, you have to make that choice. Are you going to be a part of the capital, either by living in the capital, or are you going to be kowtowing to the capital the rest of your life by living in the districts and just doing what you're told? Or are you going to resist and do what's right? Matthew 5, what are you going to do? What are you going to be? Are you going to be those who who sort of tiptoe around a little Christianity? Or are you going to live in the kingdom? 
Are you going to make the choices to say, yes, I will live my life in this manner, which means I'm going to have to reject some, if not all, of what this kingdom is asking me to do and value. Panem is not a world in which things like bravery and boldness and pure hearts really matter all that much. What matters is how you look. Everyone's always watching you in Panem. The government is always watching you. Others are always watching you. And that's what keeps you in line. Does it sound like any other kingdom you know about? In Panem and in here, the closer you get to the center of power, the closer you get to the people who are in charge, the more it is expected that you will conform and look alike, talk alike, be alike. Those in the center become so focused on appearance, and appearance is life. How they look determines their social standing. Sound like any other place you know? Like a middle school or high school cafeteria? Or your workplace? Or the community in which you live? See, I think for those who are the non-adolescents in this room... The messages in this movie are for you as well as is the story that Jesus tells of a kingdom that he describes in Matthew 5. We are called no longer to conform or to be fearful or distracted. We are no longer to live in a world thinking that we are without hope or that peace or real joy or purpose are beyond us. So a movie that comes out offering us an imagery of people who are able to overcome those things and live in hope and victory... Yeah, I'll go see that. But the truth is, I'm not sure if the first Christians would have gone to see Hunger Games. Because they would have been bored with it. Bored with it because they didn't need the fantasy. They were living the real dream. They were living the truth. They were told to to go out into a world that rejected them. They were told to go out into a world that didn't want to accept them. They were told to go out into a world that it sometimes would take a few of them and kill them to go out and change the world for Christ's sake. They were living the Hunger Games. They were living with courage and hope and redeeming those who were lost and reaching out to those who were broken. And that was the core of their message. Instead of gaining power by going after the rich and popular, they went after the weak and broken and became the church. It seems to me that if there's anything about what's going on currently today, it is to understand that perhaps we need to take a message from the Hunger Games and step back and say, do you realize we have more drama, more risk, more hope, more battles than any movie could ever have, and maybe we have not told or lived it out as we should have? See, I really wonder if, in fact, people might be flocking into places like the church if we were really out living in a world choosing to be of the kingdom of God rather than allowing ourselves to be swept up and seduced by the kingdom of the world. Now, I want to be real clear here. I'm not suggesting that we ought to become those kinds of Christians that isolate ourselves from those bad people. No, I'm suggesting we're called to be like Christ, to go out into the world freely and love freely and offer grace and hope. To those who don't have it. And compassion to those who don't understand. You know that there's actually a devotional book based on the Hunger Games? Have you seen it? Have any of you seen it? It's a great devotional book. It's 30 30 days of devotions around the Hunger Games. So I went out and bought it, because why wouldn't you? And I think you should. I really think it would be worthwhile for you to take a look at. If you know the movie in particular, it had some great messages in it. 
One of them lifts up. It says, like the Hunger Games, God chooses unlikely heroes. God chooses people who, who really no one else would have selected. Like Jeremiah is a little boy. David, who was clearly flawed. Rahab, who was a prostitute and not even of the faith, but became a heroine of the faith. Married to be the mother of God, who was this little young girl who was a nobody nothing in a town that no one knew. Reminded me this past week, I had a meeting up at the Montrose United Methodist Church. It was my home church. And I was there thinking about what it was to be Ricky. And there's no way in which Ricky ought to be standing here right now. Uh, except other people saw me what I didn't see or know about myself. God chooses unlikely heroes, calls all of us to go to places that maybe we didn't think we'd ever go to or have to go to if we live out this faith and live in this kingdom. Like the book, I believe that God calls us to remember that when we are living in places of despair and pain, it does not mean that we are alone or without hope. Some of you walked away from Hunger Games thinking it was a very dark movie. I walked away thinking it was an inspiring story of hope. I got to watch people who otherwise would have been rejected by the kingdom they lived in become the heroes and heroines and the people that were valued and loved and cared for. It was a message to me to remind me that when we face challenges in our life today as Christians, it is not the place where we will. It is not the place where we begin to blame. Rather, it's the place we begin to live and thrive in faith. And if there are bad things happening in your life right now, whether it's a horrific disease or brokenness of relationship or challenge of life like workplace or friendships or whatever, it's not to suggest the question, why does God want this to happen? God doesn't want this to happen. God, in fact, reveals himself by being present with us in the lousiest moments of our life. Not because God caused them, but because God will not let us go until we have gotten through those moments with him. Now, I'm going to get in trouble by saying what I'm about to say next. So, I've been there before. I could not walk out of Hunger Games without this strong understanding. This is a damnation for all of us in valuing the kinds of things we value in our entertainment. Hunger Games is watching children kill each other, and we find that horrific. And then we go home to watch housewives of fill-in-the-blank because they're stupid and idiotic and insane and immoral and buy things they shouldn't buy and value things that we know they shouldn't value, but we can't stop watching. Hunger Games. Titillation. Reality TV, it's cheap to produce and easy because folks love watching what's cheap. And in the kingdom of God, I just have never understood why making someone else's foibles or frailties or foolishness something that should be laughed at or revealed. Now, I'm not going to simply bash those who watch Housewives of because I was also thinking about the yesterday as I watched my fifth hour of football. <laughs> Point is, we all have our guilty pleasures. But when our guilty pleasures mean they start taking away more of our time away from family or friends, when our guilty pleasures allow our brain cells to become reduced down to enjoying someone else's discomfort for our personal pleasure, then I wonder if we've stepped outside the kingdom of God.
I wonder if we're living in the capital. You see, I ultimately think that the Hunger Games is about deciding what kingdom we're going to live in, and I ultimately think that's why it's a Christian movie, even though it was never made such. I think it's challenging us to decide what kingdom are we going to live in, what are we going to value, and how are we going to reflect what we value by how we live and what we do and what we watch and what we say and who we hang with and what we give our money to and all the other things that we do in our daily walk. Today is a day when we come as Christians to honor Christ. We come here to be healed. We come here to be prepared to be sent back out into the world. We go our separate ways, but we are one in the Spirit. We go out into the kingdom of the world aware that there are dangers and challenges. There are. However, there are also moments and places where God's blessing and hope will exist even in the midst of those challenges. For our Lord came into the world not to isolate us from the world, but to humbly and a blessing allowing us to go out and be servants on a mission to redeem the world for Christ's sake, to live in love, to live in grace, to live in mercy, to offer hope. There will be challenges. We will be rejected. We will be rejected. But it's better to be rejected for the right thing than to be accepted for the wrong thing. Let me assure you of that and say it again. It is better to be rejected for the right thing than to be accepted for the wrong thing. In the name of the one who is calling us and going with us, it is Christ the Lord. I call you to action. And I assure you that the odds will not always be in your favor. But God will be with you. And that will make sure that the victory is won. So fear not, love deep, risk mercy, and live in the kingdom. The kingdom that God is inviting each of us to now. God be the glory. Amen.